So I used to go to Bodhgaya, the place where the Buddha attained his realization. Northern India in a very poor state, the poorest state in India called Bihar. And I used to study with my first Vipassana teacher, Christopher Titmus, there from 1991. I used to go back every year for about 10 years. And I loved meditating there because it's a very powerful place. There's a lot of, uh, it's like a mecca for Buddhists and seekers and of all traditions and very colorful and vibrant temple and The retreat took place in this monastery, a Thai monastery. Each Buddhist country has its representation, so various different temples from China and Japan and Thailand, Sri Lanka, Burma. It's a very beautiful monastery. And over the years, as the village grew, the, the village spread out around this monastery that used to be in the rice fields. So it wasn't, over the years it got noisier and noisier. And then one particular year, the a travel agency had set up shop outside the monastery gates. They, there's a little makeshift market and with selling people, people selling different things from chai to clothes and this particular travel agency was selling bus tickets. And as often happens in India, uh, stores put loudspeakers outside facing outwards and often on the roof. This travel agent's had a, one of those old gramophone speakers on the, on the rooftop announcing its wares. And they played a cassette tape loop of their announcement. And it went like this. Hello. 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 And then some words in Hindi I didn't understand. Something about bus, buses. And then you'd hear the cities. Varanasi, Bombay, Calcutta, Delhi, Darjeeling, Nagpur. And then some more words in Hindi. La, 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 la. And then you would hear the tape rewind. And then start again. Hello. 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 And it was pretty loud. And the, the meditation hall was as big, it's like a room like this, but solid concrete. Not a soft thing in sight. And so the sound just bounced off the walls and bounced off the walls. And, and this was the, probably the first couple of days of a 20-day silent retreat. <laughs> so this was not looking good <laughs> for nirvana or anything, happiness or... And the teacher, Christopher, specifically said, you we weren't allowed to leave the gates, otherwise we'd get kicked off the retreat. So we couldn't go and you know, practice some non-violent direct action and <laughs> sabotage the speaker system or worse act out our homicidal feelings. <laughs> and so we just had to sit there, as you do in meditation, as you do in retreat. It's whatever comes, whether it's joy or sorrow or bus ticket announcements or people snoring or whatever it is that's, that's bugging you, 
this one was particularly <laughs> arousing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was hell for a while, you know, it's like, oh God, 20 days of this, oh my God, that's like 192 meditations, that's a six million minutes of, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> I didn't come to India to do this. I came to get enlightened. I know. Don't they know it's a monastery? And so disrespectful, blah, 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 blah. And it went on for some days, and we would pray that the Indian electricity would go out so we'd get a little reprieve, which it does a lot there. It did anyway. And we'd have a little mini nirvana for a few moments, and then we'd come back on. Hello! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> And so we had to practice with aversion, hatred, <laughs> righteous indignation, homicidal feelings, rage, self-pity, blah, 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 which is great stuff to work with because you can't do anything. You can't, nothing to do with it except be with it and sit and, and see how torturous the mind makes an experience. And then over days, you know, as these things go, the mind starts to wear down, wear down its resistance and its indignation and its righteousness. And then at some point you remember the teachings like, oh, you, the practice of mindfulness is to be present to everything without reactivity, without judgment, to accept it, to allow it, and that any reactivity equals suffering. And so I began to see, oh, maybe the problem is not with the loudspeaker, the problem is with my mind making a problem out of it. If I stop thinking it shouldn't be happening and it's not fair and it's not right and all the other things I could protest about, it was just sound. It was just a bunch of words and sound. And from that perspective of mind, which is wisdom, it wasn't so much a problem. It was just noise. I didn't like it. I'd prefer not noise. But there it was. It didn't have any control over it changing it, so the only solution was to let go. The only solution was to surrender. The only solution was to relax and breathe and listen or shift my attention to something that wasn't so aggravating. And over time, it ceased being a problem. And at, some point, at a certain point in the retreat, it became humorous. It was, you know, oh, oh. We know when it go off, we'd sort of miss it. Oh, where's the, where, where? Are they okay? <laughs> So it was a great teaching that we didn't need to go out to the, you know, to the to the shop and you know destroy the sound system to be happy. We could just be find a way to work with the mind's reactivity, and then it just became sound. It's a great teaching, like the teaching that Achan Cha gave when he was similarly in a in a retreat outside of a village and. The villagers were having a three-day fiesta, which went all night, and he was also feeling righteous indignation. And at some point, he realized it's not the sound that disturbs the mind, but it's the mind that disturbs the sound, the mind that creates the noise in the first place. So that's really what I want to teach about tonight: is <coughs> is the practice of letting go, or letting be, and how that features in our, in our life and our practice. And I want to read something. The reason that I'm giving this talk is 
I read this piece on the retreat last week, and it, I always find it very inspiring. It's a piece by a Tibetan teacher called Lama Gendon, who was a retreat master in France, who, gov- who oversaw the three-year retreats. And he wrote this, it's called Free and Easy Man. No, Free and Easy. Without, that's the California edition. <laughs> Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. That's kind of the teaching. There's a long, there's a long, lots of other words, but that's really the essence. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go, which means right now. Don't strain yourself. There is nothing to do or undo. Whatever momentarily arises in the mind and body has no real importance at all, has little reality whatsoever. Why identify with and become attached to it, passing judgment upon it and ourselves? Far better to simply let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back like waves without changing or manipulating anything. And notice how everything vanishes and reappears magically again and again, time without end. Does that sound familiar to your experience? How everything magically appears and reappears magically again and again. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching or a dog chasing its own tail. Although happiness and peace do not exist as an actual thing or place, it is always available and accompanies you every instant. Now notice what your mind's doing when you're hearing this, like, well, that's not true. I don't believe that. Where is it? I don't see it. If it accompanies me every instant, what's it on about? Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like today's ephemeral weather, like rainbows in the sky. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. Make use of this spaciousness, this freedom, and natural ease. Don't search any further. Don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who is already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Nothing to do or undo, nothing to force, nothing to want, and nothing missing. A ma ho, which means wow, marvelous. Everything happens by itself. So this is quite a provocative teaching because it challenges a lot of our very core assumptions about how happiness and peace happen. Right? We think there's sort of a cultural mindset that we have to work hard and strive to get something, to be happy, to get happy. And he's turning it on its head and saying, no, actually, the more you do that, the more you actually leave yourself, the further away it seems 
and you overlook what's already here. You already look an innate natural well-being or ease or contentment that's possible here. There's some Chinese poems that speak to this idea. This is one uh, from Han Shan. He writes, If you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. Today, walking alone, I meet him everywhere I step. He is, this, he is the same as me, yet I am not him. Only if you understand it in this way will you merge with the way things are. If you look for the truth outside of yourself, if you go seeking for it, it gets further and further away. Have you noticed that experience? The harder we try to focus and get something, often it becomes elusive. So the, the, the clearest example is you have a great meditation moment. Right? You, have a, you, you unexpectedly land into a state of bliss or delight or rapture or ecstasy. Right? We've all had those tastes of that or maybe some deep dwellings in that. And then what happens? At some point it fades because everything fades. And then we try and what do we do? We try and get it back. We try and sit in the right place and the right time and the right clothes and tea and caffeine and whatever it takes to get there. And, and we spend a lot of time trying to get back there. But of course we never get back there in that state of mind, because in that state of mind, all we're cultivating is grasping, is wanting, is seeking something from the past. And the reason that very state arose was because we were actually already relaxed. There was, there was, there was an absence of clinging, an absence of mental preoccupation, an absence of rejecting experience. And there was just simply openness and allowing, which is really one of the qualities of meditation practice that we're cultivating, which is really a letting go of all the other stuff, the doing, the trying, the efforting, that we add on to experience. We do a lot of add-ons. You notice that? We add on a lot of stuff to what is actually a very simple experience. Like this last sit, all we're doing is sitting and the body's breathing and sounds are coming and going and feelings and thoughts are coming and going. Right? But we make a lot of stuff around that. Like, I can't do it. Or it's too hard. Or what about dinner? And how do I make that nice lemon rice pudding they cooked? And why does the person next to me keep falling asleep? And on and on and on. A lot of extra and meditation is really an unpeeling of those, of seeing the unhelpful accretions. Whatever momentarily arises in the mind-body has no real importance, little reality. What he's saying is that he's speaking to the ephemerality of it. He says, don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. We attribute so much to whether we're feeling good or feeling bad or something is good or something is bad. And yet it's all just passing show. It's all fleeting. 
and we take it so seriously and we spend so much effort trying to get rid of the bad and get the good and we exhaust ourselves and we fail to see that, that all that movement takes us away from what's already here. So if you look at your experience right now, in this moment, not ten minutes ago, not one minute ago, what's here? Is there anything missing? If you look to your direct experience, is peace available? Is there a problem here? If we go to the mind, there's all kinds of things. We need to you know, make the roof bigger and build out the walls and put a nice new carpet in and change my hair and shave maybe and all kinds of things. But if we, if we let go of that fixing, doing, thinking, planning mind, and just present to what's here. Is it okay? Is there peace? Is there ease? Is there peace? I'm just curious. Where is there, if, we, if we look to direct our direct experience, is there ease or peace or well-being? Some of you. Sometimes like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> You serve some good stuff in Mexico, you have too much sangria or something. <laughs> so Thich Nhat Hanu, one of my favorite um, quotable phrases of his, said, Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. So what Genjin Rinpoche is saying is the same thing. Happiness is available. Please help yourself by not adding, doing, holding, chasing, grasping after. In the moment that we're grasping after something, however beautiful and delicious and wonderful that thing is, it could be a meditation experience, it could be an experience with a friend or a partner, it could be a moment out in nature at the top of a mountain or a hill or whatever we're grasping after, we've already occluded the moment with that grasping. And it will probably make that thing that we're chasing unlikely to happen. So the, the, this, this emphasis in the teaching around letting go is really arising out of wisdom. It's arising out of seeing what brings happiness, what brings joy, and what gets in the way of that. But of course, this, this notion of letting go is not as easy as it sounds. Anybody tried? <laughs> Anybody told you, oh, just let go, and you want to slap them? Because <laughs> if you would, you could, and you can't. Nonviolently slap them, you know. So letting go is a process. First, we have to see that we're not letting go. We have to see all the ways that we're not letting go. And this is a really interesting inquiry in itself to look at the ways, both in the big picture, that you don't let go, 
And also the ways moment to moment you don't let go. Like right in this moment, what is there something you're not letting go of? Maybe you were holding on to the fact that you really thought the Dalai Lama was going to be here. (laughs) 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 Or you're going to have a better meditation. Or your friend you were hoping to see isn't here. Or the back pain that you've been trying to avoid came back in the meditation. Or that you wanted something different to happen. What ways are you not letting go right now? What stories are you running? What ways are you resisting the present moment, externally, internally? And of course, the easy way to see that is we'll usually feel it. It registers in the body. When we're not letting go, it means we're holding on. It means there's a contraction. There's a tightness. We usually feel it in the throat. The, the chest tightens, solar plexus, maybe like a rock. The belly's hardened. Right? The, so the shoulders pull in. We f- it, it manifests physically. The mind and the body are not separate. So what we're feeling in the mind will manifest in the body as some clutching. Just like when you're driving and, the, and you're in a hurry and you, and you see the, the orange light, there's a contraction. Like, oh no, I'm going to be late for the talk. I'm letting go. Can't be late for that because I've got to look good. And I'll be late for the meeting. I don't want to be perceived as late and someone who's not together. So we first have to see, oh, where am I holding on? Where am I contracted? Where do I not let go? Where do I feel tight in my body? And we can see it in the small things of of around time. You know, we we feel it a lot in the morning. We get up and there's usually a rush to get to work, to catch the bus, to get the train, whatever it is, there's a... There's a, usually a contraction somewhere, a holding, a tightening, a bracing. Right? So there's a small ways it manifests in time. But then there's bigger things around economic security or relationship or attention, recognition. So we recognize when we're contracted, recognizing when we're not able to let go, recognizing when we're tight, recognizing when we're resisting, recognizing when we have tunnel vision and we're just fixated on getting what we want. And then we can ask, oh, is this really bringing happiness? Is Is this really what I want to be cultivating, this grasping, gripping, tight, fixated mind? Maybe it is. And if that is, then that's okay. But it's suffering. And when you have that choice, Buddhism is about choice in every moment. Do you want, do you want as, as, as Gendon says, uh, to relax this tight fist of grasping? Where does he say that? As soon as you open and relax this tight fist of grasping, infinite space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. Maybe just do that right now. Put to put your hand into a fist, right? This is the thing. You know, me grab something, like grab a slight. I want it. I want to take it home. It's so bendy and fun. <laughs> and then and then we relax, right? We don't have to 
so the important thing around relaxing is we don't have to get this. This lamp isn't that I'm clinging to isn't the problem. It's this is the problem. The, the grasping. Now, if this was a flower, of course, we'd be crushing it. With relaxing around it, we let it breathe and let it live. And to think about what we do that to in our lives. Maybe we do that to our children. We want them to be a certain way. Or we do that to our partners because we have some expectations about how the relationship be. Or we do that to our co-workers or our employees or our animals or you name it. There's this pattern is manifesting in most aspects of our lives. We do it with our body. We want our body to be a certain way. So there's a recognition of that, there's the seeing of the suffering of that, there's the acknowledgement of a possibility of, oh, maybe, maybe I can just open a little, of the fear, or the reactivity, or the rage. What does that feel like? Oh, it feels a little more relaxing, spacious, breathable. So you can do this as a meditation practice, and a fun way to play with it is after you, if you meditate in the morning, after you finish your meditation, to carry on this practice of non-grasping. As soon as you so you get up from the med, your meditation seat, as soon as you start grasping, like oh, not enough time, got to get, you stop, you close your eyes, you breathe, you relax. And you don't move again until you're relaxed. And then, okay, you go and get your breakfast, and oh, what? No, it's going to be late. Tight. Okay, relax. Didn't send the email. Oh, okay, relax. Got to feed the dog. Oh, relax. Oh, it's Saturday. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, you can see it might take you like half an hour to get to the kitchen. Because right? <laughs> gotta, gotta do the vacuuming. Uh, gotta clean the bathroom. Right? It's, it's just many micro moments all the time of this. Right? Judgments, comparisons. This is a poem that I discovered recently that I'm very fond of. So one of the things that we grasp around very much is around our body and around our age and around youthfulness and our appearance. And the, react, the, the contraction around aging and changing the body. This is from Fleur Adcock, and it's called Weathering. Anybody notice their body weathering? I certainly noticed my body weathering in Baja, California. Fortunately, there's no mirrors there, so you know, don't care whether you shave or not. My face catches the wind from the snow line and flushes with a flush that will never wholly settle. While that was a metropolitan vanity, wanting to look young forever, to pass, 
I was never a pre-Raphaelite beauty and only pretty enough to be seen with a man who wanted to be seen with a passable woman. But now that I am in love with a place that doesn't care how I look and if I am happy, happy is how I look and that's all. My hair will grow gray in any case. My nails chip and flake, my waist thicken and the years work all their usual changes. If my face is to be weather-beaten as well, it's little enough lost for a year among the lakes and the vales, where simply to look out my window at the high pass makes me indifferent to mirrors and to what my soul may wear over its new complexion. Now that I am in love with a place that doesn't care, how I look and if I am happy, happy is how I look and that's all. So she's really pointing to the same thing as the piece by Gendon Rinpoche. Happiness cannot be found, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. Sometimes we're forced to let go. Well, oftentimes we're forced to let go. And it's really how we sometimes grow, is, is seeing both the power in that, the function of that, to see that we really actually have very little control over anything. Have you noticed that? We think we're in, the mind likes to think it's in control, hates change, but really, there's actually very little except our awareness and what we do with it and how we relate to what's happening. What actually arises is, has very little to do with us, despite our machinations that we do have control. So, there was a retreat in Australia that a colleague of mine was teaching in the outback, not in the outback, in, um, in the bush. And it, the meditation hall was an sort of indoor-outdoor, but it had a corrugated iron roof that got very hot in, this, in the midday sun. And if there were snakes up in the rafters, the way snakes avoid the heat is they just drop down. So that can be a little unfortunate when you're meditating so it just so happens that this one person on the retreat uh, was, was having a lot of struggles around letting go. And, of course, you can guess what happened. So they're sitting in the meditation hall, my friend's leading the retreat, and all of a sudden he hears, help, help, help. And he looks up, and the, this person who's been having the trouble around letting go there's a snake landed on his lap, and it's up like this, looking him in the eyes. <laughs> so, he was having to do some serious letting go. And so he sort of whispers like a ventriloquist out of his mouth, is it poisonous? <laughs> and so the, the owner of the retreat center leans over to my friend and says, uh, only a little bit. <laughs> well, he says no, and then he whispers, only a little bit. 
And so he just has to wait, breathing. And eventually, you know, if, if the snake doesn't feel that you're a threat, it will happily go settle down and meander its way out. And so sometimes the universe is very brilliant at creating situations where we're forced to let go. You know, in a way, in, in those situations, that, that's a very dramatic example. But there you know, many everyday examples in our lives that that happens to, right? Where, we, where we're forced to let go. We had a beautiful rattlesnake join us on our retreat in Baja last night, came to visit us, and uh, didn't do that to anybody, but we did catch it. Well, the, the guides caught it, and uh, we kept it safe in a little bucket. And then we decided to release it the next day <clears throat> on, uh, on another beach, away from where you know, trips and tourists go. So, um, so we weren't sure how to carry it, so we decided to, um, we had several paddle boards, and it, so we put it in this big box with a lid on it. And uh, so we decided to um, put it on one of the yogi's paddle boards, and they would paddle it away. So these paddle boards aren't very long, so you've got this box with a snake on it, poisonous snake, who's very unhappy about being in the water, and a yogi, David, who's in the back. <laughs> and I asked David before we did that, how was is, how is his equanimity practice? <laughs> So it was very cool to see the snake being paddled away as it was trying to get up and do this. <laughs> so to look at where we, these, these moments are happening for us, where we're being asked to let go, where, we, where, we, where we're caught, when we struggle. Because of this whole incident with the snake, I and my partner got to the airport and uh, we missed our flight. Um, and so and we'd had this whole weekend trip planned, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's not happening. You can't fly out till Tuesday. Okay, well, I'm supposed to be teaching it Monday night. Spirit Rock, but we'll figure out, see what happens. And this is all kinds of mini hiccups in the day of a week where we're asked, no, that's, that's, that's great you've got those plans, but that's not going to happen. So sometimes we hear this teaching and think, well, this sounds all very passive. What about taking action? What about doing things in the world? And this teaching isn't about passivity. It's about seeing the painfulness of reactivity. It doesn't mean we take wise action. It, it actually allows us to act wisely, but we're not doing it from a place of hating, rejecting, and tightness and you know, when, we, when we're grasping like that, are we really seeing that clearly? Think about the times when you've been frustrated and angry and resisting and resentful. Right? We're not that clear. 
we're not that focused, we're not coming from our wisest place. Usually when we're calm and balanced that we make the wisest actions, take the wisest actions. And the Buddha made the distinction between wholesome desire and unwholesome desire. When, we, when, the, te- when the, the teachings are pointing to letting go, it's letting go of the attachment to the desire. Desires are endless. We have endless desires. They're not a problem in themselves. Our relationship to them is what's key. And the focus of them, do they lead to more wholesome, happier states of mind or do they lead to the anguish of ourselves and others? Some of those choices are easy, some of them are not so easy, some of them there's a gray area in between. But to reflect, where, where's, the, where's the movement of your life? Is, is it moving towards the wholesome, things that make, bring well-being for yourself and the, the planet, or, or not? So why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to let go? Why do we get so attached? What, is it, what do we get so attached to? Our preferences, our family, our particular interests, our football team, our appearance, our ideas. Look at how attached we get to ideas. religious ideas. How many of you attached to Buddhist ideas? How many Buddhist arguments have you had? <laughs> and they're, just, they're just ideas. And we can create wars about them. We can create separation and family division about them, around them. So one of the places I notice that it's harder to let go and where this teaching gets more complicated is when, this, when our attention or our desire involves other people. When our, when our desire, say, is for the welfare of our children or our parents or a community, and then it becomes more complicated because we care very passionately about certain people. So I got one of those emails that you always dread when you come back from a trip, uh, or the phone call, and the phone call was, oh, your mother's in hospital, and she's been admitted for the last few days with various ailments and pain, and she's under surveillance, and... Um, and in and, and that moment, I was very aware of both the love and the care and the fear and also a lot of attachment, natural attachment, healthy attachment, but also a, a, a grasping and a desire around a certain outcome, naturally. It's my mother. And so this teaching gets more complicated when we bring in the welfare of another person. Right? We've all the parents in the room or godparents, or, you know, the people that we love, we care about. How does this teaching work? How do we practice letting go 
say when a loved one is 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 in pain or has is a, has a potentially life-threatening illness right? or is getting bullied at school right? so there's the there's the care and the love and then there's the attachment and then a, a demand of it be a certain way right? so it's not so easy because we both feel compassion, say, for someone we love, but we also have an attachment to how it should be, or how we think it should be. Maybe we have a loved one who uh, just has a string of unfortunate things happen to them, and we think it's not fair. And we need compassion both for ourselves and the other person. And we see that the, 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 the desire, the attachment is, is both natural, but it also causes a lot of pain. And that's part of being human. That's partly why the Buddha set up a monastic system was to, as a way to avoid the pain of relationship intimate relationship, family, children, parenting. It's not what we're doing here. I don't see any monks or nuns here. I, th- I see people living a lay life and you have family and partners. And, right? So we're having to work in the nitty-gritty of this and it's not, it's, not, there's no, it's not clear, it's not black and white. So I think about this a lot when I teach. So I'm, I'm leading this group out in the wilderness and I have um, a certain, I feel a bit like Mother Hen with this, for the flock and I want, them to ha- I want them to be safe. I want them to be happy. I want them to have profound experiences and I don't want anything intruding on this lovely little wilderness retreat experience we're having. So... We, one night we camp on this beach and there's, there's a big Samana Santa Easter festival going on. There's a lot of music and partying and, and sound travels pretty easily across the water. And so I contract, like, oh no, this is not, this is not what I hadn't expected a festival <laughs> in the Baja wilderness. <laughs> you know, people coming over in jet skis, which are illegal. You know, and it's like deafening compared to the exquisite silence. And so my, my grasping and my attachment is partly out of concern for the other's experience. Right? I don't care for myself whether, they, whether there's music there or not. I kind of thought it was fun, actually. But. So you, I'm just pointing to the, the complicated nature of it, especially when we're caring about something bigger than ourselves. Same with if we're caring about the planet and the, the, the horrific destruction of species and And to see our relationship to that, both feeling the pain of that and the strong attachment to it being different. That's partly why we cultivate the practice of equanimity that helps provide some ballast. Knowing that sickness happens, knowing that <coughs> destruction happens. 
<clears throat> this is from a poem from Mary Oliver, Blackwater Woods. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. So in that poem, I think she presents beautifully, as poets do, the juxtaposition of life. Right? We love, we care, we cherish, we take care of, we hold it against our bones as if our life depends on it, which at times it does, like our mother's love. And when the time comes to let it go, we have to let go. Of course, you can choose to hold on, and then what happens when we hold on, we get rope burn. Is there any holding on that doesn't lead to rope burn? I haven't found it. So this is from Achan Sumedho, who puts it a little more amusingly, from a Buddhist point of view. So Achan Sumedho is a monk, a monk for the last 40 years or so, maybe longer now. And the cornerstone of his practice was about letting go, the Four Noble Truths, letting go of grasping and aversion. He says, the practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You simplify your meditation practice down to just two words, let go. <laughs> Rather than try to develop this practice and then develop that practice, and achieve this and go into that, and understand this, and read the suttas, and study the Abhidharma, and learn Pali and Sanskrit, and then the Majjhimika and the Prajnaparamita, different Buddhists, traditions, and get ordinations in the Hinayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana, write books and become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism. Instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, let go, let go. <laughs> I did nothing but this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until a desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in incredible amount of, amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. <laughs> which I have to account, I have to testify is true. <laughs> Some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya, radiating love throughout the world, but instead I, just be, just, I suggest just being an earthworm, letting go of the desire to radiate love and just be an earthworm who knows only two words, let go, let go, let go. 
so it is actually very simple. And the practice, the motivation for that practice arises out of compassion, out of self-compassion, the, the, the self-compassion just to see the suffering of our holding on. But it also arises out of compassion for others. Because when we're grasping and contracted and holding on and controlling, it's suffering for everybody else around us. And we've all been on the receiving end of that, so we know what it's like. So I read this story uh, that points to this humorously. about a story of a woman shopping with her daughter and a man's noticing how uh, how the mother is with her young daughter and he's noticing that as they pass the cookie section the little girl asks for cookies and when told she's not going to have any she starts to mumble and whine and and the little girl be, uh, cries a little, and the, and the mother says, Now, Monica, we just have half the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset, it won't be long. So they go along for a while, and they come to the candy aisle, and again the, the girl clamors for, for cookies, and again the mother says, No. And she gets upset and starts to wail. And the mom says, there, there, Monica, don't cry. Only two more aisles to go, and then we'll be checking out. And when they get to the checkout stand, the girl immediately begins to clamor for gum. And when told she's not going to have any, has a huge tantrum. And the mother patiently says, Monica, we'll get through this checkout in five minutes, and then we can go home and have a nice nap. The man follows them out to the parking lot and is... He said he was wanting to compliment how patient he was, uh, how she, patient she was with her daughter. And he says, I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Monica, he began. Whereupon the mother says, what do you mean? My little girl's name is Tammy. I'm Monica. <laughs> so that's the practice of letting go with a little self-compassion thrown in for the mix. So to reiterate, back to the essence of the teaching from Gandan Rinpoche, to remember that peace is available. Peace is available right here, right now, prior to the moment that we start seeking outside of ourselves prior to the moment of grasping, prior to the moment of looking for something or rejecting something or complaining that it isn't here. It's already here. It's available. It's in its potentiality. Peace, ease, freedom, wakefulness, presence, whatever language you give it, silence, stillness, ease. Like right now, prior to the mind Prior to going to the mind, to thought, to memory, about what's not right, what's missing, what's deficient. This is from Nisargadatta, great teacher from India. 
The essence of pleasure is acceptance. Whatever may be the situation, if it's acceptable, it's pleasant. If it's not acceptable, we find it painful. You will find an acceptance of pain, a joy which pleasure cannot yield, for the simple reason that acceptance of pain takes you much deeper than pleasure does. The personal self, by its very nature, is constantly pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. The ending of this pattern, with its desires and fears, enables you to return to your real nature, the source of happiness and peace. So it's interesting, you see the, the, these Nisargadatta and Gendan from different traditions, but as in all the great traditions, there's a pointing to this same principle of innate peace and well-being. So f as you go home tonight, as you go back into your life, to think about, what, to, to make this practical, is there one thing, one, one place you could focus on where you notice that you get caught, where you get tight, where you get contracted, that would serve you to bring this inquiry? What would it mean to let go of this tight fist of grasping in relationship to this thing, this issue, this person, this situation? What would that look like? And then I'll, that's your homework for the week. I believe I'm here next week, so I'll ask you how it's going. <laughs> yes. And then also just to remember that practice of, like even like right now, like, you know, as soon as the bell rings, like, oh, gotta get to the car, gotta get the carpool, gotta go get my coffee, gotta get, right? Notice that. Like, you know, the, the, the contraction of the belly. Maybe noticing the anal sphincter. Like, ooh, little, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Not to the bathroom, just gotta go. So notice the clutching. Then relax. Okay, I'll get there when I get there, and people will be there when they be there, and I'll get to my pizza or whatever I'm going to afterwards, or get home. And to see, is it worth that clutching? Right, to notice where you, where you tighten. Relax. Right, and just practice that. And then peace becomes much more available. Every traffic light, you get to practice that. Mm. <laughs> Especially if you're not going to your texts, you know, your cell phone or whatever it is, distraction. Hmm. So, happiness cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already present in open relaxation and letting go. May that be so. Thank you, everybody. Lovely to be here. I will see you next week. Happy April Fool's Day.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.